Hello, and welcome to Bias, Not Biased, a podcast hosted by me, Michelle Fajera. I invited Dominic Ward and Chris Toms for this episode to talk about their experiences as African-American designers. Let's get into it. But I was going to tell you, this is, I know that Dominique knows the story, but the, the reason I laugh a lot when people call me Michael, right, is, first of all, I lived in the U.S. for six years and everyone called me Mitchell. I was never Michelle. It was Mitchell. Because they couldn't say Michelle without either laughing or trying to be like, wait, that's not a, wait, what? Michelle? Oh, yeah, because it's, like, it's thought of as a, yeah. It, it's a girl's name, right? Uh, but yeah. I'm like. It's well, that's the French version of the name. And and funnily enough, my mom chose the name because of my Michelle, the song from the Beatles, because she mm. also didn't understand that it was Michelle, you know, female. Right. So yeah. the, the, the disconnect between being male, female name is always been part of my life. Right. But the funniest mm. thing is my Slack name at work is not Ferrari. It's because no one can even say my last name either. So we can't say Michelle. You can't say Ferreira. So it's fun, you know, you can't say any of my names, uh, <laughs> which I, I completely think it's, uh, it's one of the, one of the aspects that I wanted to talk, um, uh, in, in the, in the podcast is like people with their names or changing their names or having to modify their names to be able to fit in. Yeah. Anyway, I, I have an interesting, I have an interesting story about that. Um, a good friend of mine at my current work, um, he started, he came over from Singapore. He's, a an Indian gentleman, um, and he, his name is uh, Rock. Everybody calls him Rock. Um, his name is actually Rakesh. Uh, but when he started working in sales, they told him he had to change his name, hmm. or they would get rid of him because his name was too hard to say. Yep. It was like he's and he's you know he's a little older. He's like into he's past his i think he's like mid 50s like upper 60s so like you know no there was no sort of um <laughs> inclusion <laughs> happening in the workspace like he was you know lucky to be there that's exactly how which is exactly how he felt right um but yeah he's gone by rock professionally for 25 years because some white guys <laughs> told him he couldn't go by his actual name. Nobody, nobody can say Rakesh. So you're you're rock now. It yeah. it creates an amazing disconnect, which is kind of doesn't a hard, it? Which, it is. I mean, it's a hard nickname, though. I will say it's I a hard nickname. Was it, rock. That's kind of yeah. dope. It's it's kind of <laughs> good, but it's still terrible. It's not yeah. his name, and like now I re I refuse to call him Rock. I call him See, Rakesh only. They tried to call me Mitch, and that's where I drew the line. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're, I'm not going to be a Mitch. You can either call me Mitchell or Michael, oh. and I think Mitchell is easier because it looks more like it could be my name, you know? If you just look at my name, it's just like, oh, Mitchell? I can read Mitchell there, you know? It's missing a T, but I can read it. Michael, like, there's no A, you know? Uh, but just just so you know, whenever I'm, I'm even though I you know that I live in Sydney, even here I have to say uh, it's Michelle Michael with no A, and then people get it. Anyway, uh, I I appreciate both of you joining, and uh, I know it's completely different time zones than here, so it's it's really uh, it's really nice of you both to to be here. Um, 
So what Is I wanted like to do is I went morning there or something. No, it's nine. It's nine. It's not that bad. It's nine a.m. here in Sydney. It's good. That's not bad. This is yeah. the best overlap in time with Sydney. It really is. It's this just time brilliant. of year only. <laughs> yes, because then the times yeah. Yeah, the, with the yeah. Oh my goodness! Don't get me started with time zones in. And then uh, anywho, so the the idea is, Chris, it's kind of like our hangouts on 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 Twitter and and Clubhouse. Uh, it's you know my my goal is to talk about the the experience of you know being an african-american black designer uh in the industry what were the hurdles what were the challenges you know anything you notice what kind of things you know you wanted to share and and to be super honest i want these conversations to kind of even be uncomfortable right i mean i want to touch stuff that is like you know what what are we not talking about you know what are the things that really uh, annoy us in a day-to-day -day thing right so anyway, I know you're. I know you're really used to those in Clubhouse. I'm just giving you uh, the idea for what the the podcast is is going after. I do cool. it at work too. So yeah. Yeah, you do it at work too. <laughs> Good. We can start there. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. Like I, I, I mean, George Floyd was a seven, was a moment for everyone, but um, it was a moment for me where I really stopped giving a fuck if, if I. <laughs> <laughs> if i if i have to be real honest about it i was like well i mean this man just died on national tv i'm gonna make some people uncomfortable and i honestly don't care what happens after i tell the truth um if something good happens after that great if something bad happens after that great i just didn't i stopped caring because i just had this i've had i've always had this thing where because i was a in sports before um there's this, there's this idea like you have a prime and it's very like small, it's tiny. It's, you know, 16 to, if you're lucky, 26. If you're super lucky, 30. If you're like on drugs and taking PEDs, it's 36, 37, 38, 39. Um, but, but, um, but like, I have always had this thing where I always give myself a time frame. Um, and that, you know, there's positives and there's real negatives to that. Um, but I felt like I was just running out of time to make an impact and I wasn't going to make an impact by behaving the way I was pre George Floyd. And, and so I changed everything. I mean, not just, not, I just let everything that I was holding inside out, like, and at my company which wasn't super inclusive at the time. That was actually kind of dangerous, but. I, I took my CEO to task. I took the entire executive team to task. I called them out during all staff meetings and made them answer questions they did not want to answer in front of people because it was the only way I could get accountability from them was to make them answer a, a question in front of the entire company. Um, and it worked. Like, shockingly, it worked. Um, you know, um, but... this is not my actual, like, I mean, this is who I am as a person. Like I still am like, kind of, I'm still kind of like forward because of, this is just because of sport. I think these are, are learned behaviors, but that's not how I actually was in my professional life until like George Floyd, like that. I wasn't really doing that because I was like, you can't bring that, like, you can't bring that like sports energy to the office. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. You can't come in with all that, like, 
like toxic masculinity and, and do that stuff. So I was really a refinement of that approach, um, making it non-toxic and uh, super inclusive, um, really encountering my own biases and, and kind of re keeping the bluntness and the straightforwardness, but discarding the insults and toxicity because everything, everything in sports is a, is a slight on uh, <laughs> your, your masculinity or, or lack thereof, right? Um, right. That's one of the things I really hate about sport. <laughs> is that I get it. I, I understand. People can't just be who they are. So, so yeah, I'm going to... No, no, no. This is this is really good stuff. I think you went to a very interesting area, and I was gonna I was gonna throw to Dominique and say, did did you think it affected you in the same way when you saw the George Floyd in the news? And of course, I know that just after that, we had a gigantic Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. like popping up everywhere. Uh, I also follow uh, the NBA a lot. So, Chris, going back to sports just for a little bit, they changed their courts. They started talking about it more, right? So it became more prominent for I believe everyone else. So I'm just wondering for you, Dominique, if there was any moment that that came out a little more. Um, I mean, I th it's tricky, right? I think that 2020 was a, a really difficult year. And um, I think that there, for me, that there, there were a, a string of things, right? There was Breonna Taylor, there was Ahmaud Aubrey, there was um homeboy in central park who was a birder who it was just like all of these things and then like up that like contributed to this like you know um this massive anxiety this massive um feeling of of quite frankly almost being hunted and then capping off and almost exploding with this 11 minute video of a black man being killed you know and so i think that kind of just you know it was the powder powder keg right is the thing that exploded everything um but for me personally as a as a black woman um those like it was the thing that broke me but it wasn't necessarily the thing that like set me off right um it was um terrifying and also and also you know in an, in another respect like you know Brianna Taylor was also really really scary for me and Ahmad Aubrey was also scary for me because this is just like yes. every day running your life trying to stay healthy doing what everyone else at that point in the pandemic was trying to do which is stay active right. and go for a walk or go for a run and then actually being hunted um and homeboy whose name i can't remember right now so i feel really bad for calling him homeboy in central park who's like you know doing the nerdiest thing ever something that i would totally do <laughs> looking at birds in the park, minding his business, and then being threatened um, right. by um, someone who was actually in the wrong. Um, and so those specifically, those three specifically hit home to me because those were like everyday things 
yeah. people not even, there was no like confrontation or exchange other like that was like outside of the norm. With George Floyd, it was like, for me, it was like a, a confrontation and a coming together of, of forces that, or not even forces of someone out here living their lives and a, um, and a, a system that was like say, being imposed on them. Whereas the other three were like, this could be me in any right. day of my life. A bullet could fly into my house. Hey, I could be walking down the street in San Francisco, which who I lived at the time where the two years that I felt that, that I lived there never felt particularly safe as a black woman living in, in, a, in, in that city. Um, and so that created for me a lot of anxiety around even leaving my home. And then also being in meetings and interacting with people who by and large did not look like me because I work in an industry and in a profession that is very, is like 3% black people. And, yeah. and so, and also we're an international company where it's like, it's even lower because there aren't very many, you know, black people in Australia. So it's right. like, you know, so it was, it was a lot of things, but more for me, it was, it was just like, really, it pummeled me. I, um, and it wasn't until many months later where I had that I like very, you know, clearly and openly said, you know, I'm going to push back on, on these things and, and set an expectation and, and hold you accountable, which I had done in previous, you know, parts of my career at different places, you know, um, but more of like, I'm going to guide you through this. And like the last like two years, it's been like, no, I'm going to set this expectation that I expect you to meet or at least make moves to meet. Um, and I think that that's something that um, in my position as a leader, I feel like I've, I've kind of owned and felt more comfortable in doing. Whereas when I was a little bit more junior, I was like, I'm going to try to be guiding and like, isn't this great for the business and do to do to do. <laughs> no, no, that's that's a great point, and and I love that you that you said that. It's like, first of all, you brought like a very interesting statistic: three percent of black designers only, right? And that's U.S. I, I believe that's where the data is. Yeah. yeah. So worldwide, it's not even close. Um, and then you, someone said, I think it was Farai that said, you know, it's really it's really hard for Madzima from Shopify. It's really hard being the only the only one of one in a room, right? The only of you in a room uh, and how hard that is. But noticing that and being like more aware of that on a day-to-day -day and how do you do it? And I, I love the shift from like, I'm going to be guiding to, no, no, no. You're going to do this. Just set some expectations of what I want the company to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, however, I heard from, I heard from a colleague um, before. Uh, so, uh, you know, a former colleague of mine was telling me that she was tired of doing DEI work. She was mm -hmm. tired of being involved in diversity work. And, and the challenge is, you know, me being uh, a Latino, me being from Brazil, uh, you know, you having the background you have, not being in that is hard because you want to you wanna be supported and you want to, you know, build for others also. 
But at the same time, this person was saying, it's not my job to make this happen for me. It's the job of the company to set this up for me. I should be set up for success. They should be doing this for me. And I wanted to hear how you feel uh, about that side of it. It's a double-edged sword because, um, because there are so few, whether it be women, people of color, people with disabilities, neurodivergent people, um, gender non-binary, um, anyone on the LGBTQI spectrum, there are always fewer, right? And so it, it's that um, people don't, people who are not, who are, you know, the cis, white, male, heteronormative, um, they don't notice anything else outside of their lived experience. And, and that's very, it's, it's broad generalization, sweet being generalization. Um, but if, if you don't get, it's like the, the data, right? The lack of the data tells you that there's nothing wrong. Well, that's because you only have X amount of people and because they're so few, the data is insignificant. And so you have this thing that, that kind of stews. And so the only thing that kind of pushes the needle is people, is those people raising their hand and pushing people and holding people accountable and doing that work, but it's exhausting. Right. And, and then if you, if you have, you know, well-meaning white heteronormative, able-bodied, well, I don't want to say able-bodied, non-disabled, able, um, you know, heteronormative people, from Western countries, like, like dig in, right? Um, pushing forward on something that is about something they're not, then it's like, well, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's like, you know, men trying to des design something for menstruation and never having lived that experience. It's like, I know what women want, people who menstruate want, you know, <laughs> what they need. They need this thing. I have, empathy, Dominique. I have empathy, Dominique. I have empathy. Because <laughs> right. that's the calling card, right? The calling card is like, I'm a designer. I have empathy. And I uh, I, I think um, I was in a prison. I was in a conference. Nancy Duyon. I might be butchering her name. I'm so sorry. Nancy Duyon. I think it's her last name. Uh, she's from the Caribbean islands. And she was pregnant at the time. And she's a African-American woman. And she was saying, you know, these bunch of white boys talking to me like I know what you're feeling and she's like no you don't I'm a <laughs> I'm a female I'm black I'm pregnant you will you haven't gone for any of that and you're being like but I have empathy I can I can right. you know talk to you about what you're feeling yeah. um yeah it's hard because like you should be part of those conversations you know to borrow from the you know the the words of um, disabled people who are fighting for their rights and have, and by extension, fought for every person's rights, regardless of ability, you know, if it's like with us, not like, it's like for us, not by us or by us, not for us. Right. Bias and so by us, not for us. Sorry. Um, and so it's, it's more about like, if you're, you can't just design something for me. You can't just put out this DEI initiative about me, but you didn't talk to me. And so there's like this, I want to be part of it, but I actually don't want to do the work because I've already lived it. I don't want to teach you. Um, and it's, it's, it's a hard and 
I think one of the things that we shouldn't expect is that just because someone is a black man, black woman, a gay man, a gender non-binary person, that they should be the person who is doing all the work and bringing people along. And that's often the expectation. Yeah. And, and I'm going to push it back to you, Chris, you were, you were, you were um, talking also, you know, the change you felt in, in your company and, uh, and, you know, I believe the DEI efforts or diversity efforts have changed. Um, I imagine you didn't have to tackle anyone completely sports style. So I just wanted to hear how that went like on your day to day, like what was the transition to, you know, like, were you more involved? Do you feel like you shouldn't be involved? What is your feeling around the whole conversation? I carried us. Mm. <laughs> I carried so he us. did tackle sports style. <laughs> yes. I, I, carry us. I, I like, I, I put, I put it all on my back and I did not stop until yesterday. <laughs> what happened yesterday? Exactly. I stopped. Yeah. Yesterday why, why I was did... like, you know, I was like, I was doing, I, I've been doing a series called Inclusive Design Coffee Chats at my company. Um, they've been well received. They've been well attended. Um, I've been doing them for the better part of, what is it? Is it March? Almost March? I've been, I've been doing it for half a year. Um, before that, I was doing one-on-ones with all these people who are attending um, my inclusive design coffee chat. So the coffee chats were an attempt to give me some of my calendar back. Um, and it worked. Totally worked. Um, and so we were going through like really inclusive topics, uh, doing like doing different like thinking exercises, um, ways to get folks outside of them selves and encounter their bias uh and so i've been doing that for a while um and i've been talking about this stuff for a while um like i've been discussing for a long time that for developers the only real way for them to engage in dia and inclusive practices is via a design system that's built with inclusive design practices it's measurable it's a measurable way for pdev to engage in it just be, just by pulling components um and so i was really i've really been kind of championing like all of those things um as well as like you know doing my job <laughs> design lead um and you know i like this friday we had a discussion and i shared something from my experience as like i used to live in southeast asia um that's because of sports but i used to live in southeast asia and i talked about i was talking about empathy and i was talking about how um you know i'm the i'm my my ancestors are slaves um some of them some of them are slave owners as well um but um I was talking to them about how I went to Cambodia for the, you know, for the first time in my life uh, when I was in Thailand to do a visa. And um, I was offered a human being for $30 when I crossed the border. And the level of empathy I felt for my ancestors in that moment was like, I never would, I never ever 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 would have expected that and it was it was wild it was like it was a moment for me where i was like 
holy shit. You just tried to sell me a human being. And I declined. Right. But then I saw, you know, old white men walking around with many children. Yeah. Stuff, man. And and that for me, like it was a it was a it was a moment, right? And person had to like a person had to stop and get off the call because it was like too much for them to consider. Right. And I get that she's a very sweet person and wasn't prepared for that, but it made me think, I was like, well, why am I actually doing this anymore? <laughs> I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to share anymore. Right. I've shared everything. Like you've, I've shared everything you need. If you don't have it by now, then you're, you're not going to get it. And if that means that this company can't progress, then that's on them. I have done my part. And I think, I think for me, I mean, I work in ed tech, so all the problems I see directly affect the two um, mixed race black children that are in the room next to me. There's no problem that I encounter in this space that doesn't directly impact my life. It all impacts my life. So it's already rough, right? It's already rough. I don't need any more. And I know how to do my work inclusively. I know how to drive those outcomes. I know how to do that stuff. It's up to everyone else to learn at this point. And I've pointed them towards resources. Project Inkblot has has a whole framework <laughs> for how you do this um, that I've directed my company towards. Um, I talked to them a lot about hiring practices. Um, and so I, I've done a ton. Yeah like so much and so that was really kind of where it sat for me i was like wait i've done all of this time for you to do something right and then we can talk yeah so that's kind of where i arrived at um and i didn't know i was there until like after the talk was over (laughs) i literally have next week's talk prepared like i have the powerpoint (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for the next one that was going to happen the next week that I just canceled everything for um yeah. you know so I because that, that's literally what I went and I was like oh you know we're gonna do it next week and then the week after you know whatever I was like ready right and then like after that I was like no I'm not gonna yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna do this anymore right um so hopefully there's a, there's a change. I think there is. I mean, I think there will be. I think there's a good chance. I have laid a foundation, right. um, particularly in the design spaces, but also outside of the design spaces, where um, it's well understood. And so um, it really is. And, and this is always the thing. And I, I don't know if any other, I don't know if any civil rights folks said this, but at the end of the day, it's going to be on the majority to accomplish equity, right? <laughs> right? Like Martin Luther King was one person and, you know, yeah. they murdered him. Right. And so at the end of the day, the majority has to decide that they want equity. Right. And if they don't, then they don't. Well, right. <laughs> 
So know. Dominique, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it looks tricky. like you don't. It's, it's not that I disagree, disagree, right? Because it's, I, I, the thing I push back on is like, I don't think the majority thing has decided that they want equity. They don't really understand. The majority doesn't understand the difference between equity, equity and equality. And it, so there's that. I think one of the things that pushes us often is like this sense or feeling of mor morality that isn't actually about whether or not things are equal or equitable. It's about the outside social forces. And so in the, you know, when it comes to Dr. Martin Luther King, it is a, you know, a good person does not seem, it starts with, you know, a good, good person does not see color. You know, we're all the same, right? And so any distinction between the two is the, the moral wrong, right? But it's not necessarily because I want them to, uh, I want equity, equity. It's just that I see no difference. And we're, it's, it's that kind of like mis, mis that, that belief that we're all on the same playing field. And so we're all playing the same game and any leg up or leg down, which is actually what equity is. It's like putting people, it's accounting for the disadvantages that people have, whether it be, you know, economic, you know, the second, the socioeconomic forces that, that hold people that give people like the get held back at the start of the line. But I actually think that like a lot of it, unfortunately, is more if people feel like other people will think they're a bad person, then they will push for the thing. <laughs> and that's a very, very cynical like perspective whether or not it's it's true or not it, it remains you know it could go either way but at least that's no, I my think, view i think it's a very interesting avenue i don't i wouldn't call it cynic at all i think it's you know those are avenues one of the challenges for me while doing this whole thing is i mean there's um you know one one of the sides of it is there's a there's there's privileges in being born in the United States, right? So I've, I'm not from the United States. I was born in Brazil. Uh, and for me, the challenge was always, you know, I want to, I want to get out of Brazil. I want to move out of Brazil and there's reasons, right? So we, you know, there's the, um, it, how violent it is, how difficult it is to do sorts all sorts of things, how much the, the industry that I've worked in didn't really exist in Brazil. Right. So lots of things like that, but what you said there about the, you know, like, are you are you the one are you the one pushing it forward or do I stop pushing it? Um, it's one of the things that always struck me, which is when we do anything like this, any DEI effort, are we just preaching to the choir, right? Are we just repeating the message to our own echo chambers to the people that we already have on it? Like, are the people going to Chris's talk every week to his coffee talk at work the same people? Is it resonating? And when does when do we actually build the allies there to take that over and to push that forward for us how do we multiply the message right is there a way to multiply the message with the white cis heteronormative like you know crowd right because and that's where i am a cynic a little it's the i don't think this is successful the di efforts are successful until others that are not the minorities can see our efforts and can push for those efforts too 
right? And I see a change. I do see lots of, you know, companies and examples where you even said, Dominique, is like not all white cis heteros, for the love of God, is not all though, all of them, yeah. right? But I think it has to be like, that's the engine that powers the whole DEI movement forward. It's, Which is it's hard. It's, <laughs> it's infuriating, right? Like, oh, you have to get, it, it's the same thing like when you go across, you know, in your career, it's like, you got to get co-signed by some white man <laughs> to actually yeah. make this like va a valid thing to fight for. You have to convince yeah. the powers that be who are, whom are often white right. men. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, you know, all the things when it comes to, you know, women being able to reach, you know, the top rungs of, of a career per, or a professional ladder, people of color doing the same, getting a job, getting recommended for work, getting the benefit of the doubt, being hired for potential rather than what you've already done. It's always based on someone's cosign beforehand if you are not, you know, exactly what they look like. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, it sucks. And, and so for me, it's the, do you think, Chris, now that you stop that the coffee, uh, you know, that, that, that the coffee chats could continue, but you're not the driver, for instance, that's the question. Do you see a, a, a world where that happens and they keep pushing, you know, forward and you can now be just a, you know, like that can just happen without you being the driver. Why you have to be in that seat? Yeah, I, I don't know. I hope it does. I hope they I hope they do. I hope they continue to have talks and 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 do all those things. Um I'm just gonna do badass work. That's kind of where <laughs> I'm at. And then I'm going to that's what, I mean, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm 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 gonna kick ass and take names on my actual job. Um and um and see where see where that gets me. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think um, my efforts in inclusion and inclusive design are going to be centered not in my organization. They're going to be centered outside in Twitter spaces and other, and other channels. Um, I'll write. I'll do all the things. Um, I'm not stopping. I'm just not doing it for that. So right. um, I, I, think, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I, I like the point that Dominique made about co-signing. Um, that definitely happened to me. It's actually why I was able to transition into design from sports so rapidly. Um, I, I never wasn't a full-time designer. I never had to do that because I coached um, a good, a, a really good soccer player. I, I coached a really, he owned, he owned his own agency. So I coached his daughter and she was terrible at soccer. And I made her good. Like I made her so good that she she made the ODP team and the regional level. Dude, get eat whatever you want. I have to... <laughs> <laughs> um she was so good that she um you know she was getting college letters, she was like 15 years old at this point. I worked with her for six months. Nobody had ever heard of her. And then all of a sudden she was like 
in all these things. And he was like, this is a miracle, right? Like, he's like, how you, let me know when you, you need a job, like a real job and I'll help you. And I was like, I'm not taking that like handout, you know, you know what? I'm not doing that. And that, it took me like 10 years. And what ended up happening was I was coaching uh, at a college and it was a nightmare. It was like horrible. It couldn't have been any worse. It was like, just, just for anybody who ever hears this, college soccer is the death of all good things. It's <laughs> horrible. It's, it's evil. It should not be done. It's a total racket. And we're like ripping off really poor kids all the time, getting them in huge amounts of debt so they can kick a ball for a college. If they're that good, they should just go play professionally and be paid. Anyways, uh, that's a tangent and a rant. Um, he got me out of that. He offered me a job as a social media person and told me he had content. And then he didn't have any content. And then he's like, oh, we don't have any content. And then I became a content designer like overnight. And I made, I took, I, I was, I had done photography a little bit in college. I had done some graphic design. I was really bored was when I was a player and my friend used to kick me bootleg copies of Photoshop and Illustrator. And um, I did that in my free time. So I didn't know that that like was actual, was an actual skill set that I had developed just screwing around. So I built content. I built four, at least four to six pieces of content every single day uh, for two years. And so by the time I left, and then he was like, oh, can you build interfaces? And I was like, probably. Can you do UX? I was like, let me read about it. I'll find out. But that's what I like. It was like, oh, I've been doing this. What was so weird for me was that I had been doing it as a coach for a really long time. Like, that's how you set up a session. You think about literally down to how many touches a player is going to take to get through an exercise, what they are, what you're going to do. And you plan that out so that it makes sense. So the players can come, know what they're supposed to do. And so you can get into it fast and you can optimize all that time because you only have like 90 minutes to get all the learning in. So I've been doing this for years. And so I started doing the same thing with screens. Like how many taps does it take to do this? How many, how many steps? Can we, can we shrink the number of steps? Is that more, is that simpler? Let's do some user testing. And like, I just started doing that stuff because that's literally what I've been doing in sport. I've been like asking players like, hey, here's the session for tomorrow. I want you to run through it with me right now. And like, we're just gonna spend five minutes on each thing. You let me know what you think about the flow. And they would be like, well, I'd like to pass before we do dribbling. Or I'd like to do something with the ball in the air before we start shooting. And so I was like, okay, I'll add this. And then, it, and like players love my sessions. Like that was like one of the things they really liked practicing with me. It was entirely, it was essentially a service design project, the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, so I started applying all that stuff, building interfaces for augmented and virtual reality, which nobody starts in AR. Most people start in 2D, I did not. I started in AR and VR. And um, that gave me experience that honestly, like, dude, I don't, like, I don't know, like, if I would be here if I hadn't been designing in three-dimensional spaces from the jump. Like, 
I thought a lot about deeply about interaction modalities. I got, I went on like everybody I worked with was a developer. So I went in deep on code and how you enable this stuff. Um, I read, I don't know. I think one, I think last year I read like 60 books. It was stupid. Like I, I, I just, I just, I was the sponge. I, I enjoyed, I like loved it. Like I just drank it all in. And um, I've been very fortunate that I can apply things rather rapidly. And so I've been doing that for the past, you know, eight years now. Um, but it was, it was a, it was a big transition, but it definitely was because I coached a very wealthy white man's daughter. <laughs> that is how I got here. And, and he's a wonderful person. Like I like, no, no shame in the game at all. I'm super grateful. But if I did, if I had not coached his specifically his daughter, yeah, I'm not here. I'm nowhere. You know what's funny, Chris? You said that, and I'm I'm thinking to myself like when I started, um, one of my first jobs was uh, designing some things for the NBA, and they were doing some um, some events in Brazil for the NBA Cares, right? So I did, I worked as an interpreter there, and I and I had to interact with the players, but I also designed some things. And the design some things part was the part that was kind of like the same with you. You know, I I was a starting out designer, you know, basically in the middle of college or. I think even starting college. Uh, and the difference there is the person that was the co-signer, the person that had to sign it off was an African-American from the US that represented the NBA in Brazil. So I had to have uh, another African-American person, a Brazilian person that I worked with, say to that person, no, 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 Michelle's cool. You can trust him and he's going to do the work. Uh, if that person didn't say that, I would just be the interpreter guy. Right. That's that's yeah. just who I was. I was just the interpreter. But the guy was like, no, 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 don't worry. Michelle's cool. I I, I trust him. If he, you know, he's going to do the design for it. And so I got that gig and I started doing that, you know, that little bit of design, just a little bit of design to be like confident enough that, oh, I can do this. This is cool. I can actually, you know, start this before even finishing college. Right. So just give that little jump uh, ahead. Um, differently on the other side of the mm -hmm. spectrum uh you know well, i think that's yeah i think that's interesting like the uh, power of preference um it, you know some people call it bias I, i'm starting to call bias preference now um <laughs> because um people would prefer to work with a white designer preferably a white male designer with glasses and a turtleneck um I, I will remove people, my glasses for you, Chris. I'm yeah, sorry. People would prefer, people would like, that's their preference. These are preferences. Or, you know, they like, like, you know, I don't care. I'll say it because I don't care. But NNG, they really like to put pretty white ladies in videos talking about UX. That's all they do. Those are the only people who ever talk on their videos. I Every video they release, I'm just like, wow. Where did they get them all? I, you know, I, this is amazing. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm trying not to be like, I, it's not like they're saying anything wrong or bad, you know, it's, it's just, it's just wild to me how, how much the preference is for a, a, a certain thing, right? We prefer junior designers to be women and to be attractive. Um, I had, a, I like, I was in a, I was in this room 
with all these people who are employed, and most of them are women, and none of them were ugly. And I was like, I was like, huh. <laughs> well, there's a lot of data around, <laughs> around, um, you know, <laughs> around attractiveness and your ability that. to get hired. There is. Well, no, 100%. And, and, and I, I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's like this nefarious conspiracy, although it kind of is. Um, <laughs> um, what I'm saying is if you don't like, I, I made this tweet forever ago, 70% of your success as a designer has nothing to do with design. If you are not attractive, if you don't speak well, if you don't, um, if, if you, if you don't, if you're not an extrovert, holy cow, <laughs> like heaven help you <laughs> because you're going to have a really hard time. Um, because generally folks who aren't classically beautiful, you know, don't make it unless they're dudes. But here's like the thing. You, you said the word beautiful there, which I totally understand. And I know that that's complicated, know, but classically beautiful, I, I guess, Western, Western preference, Western preferences. And I a hundred percent, I a hundred percent understand that, but here's the challenge. So I was reading something similar to that, but it's not about the beauty of the person. It's about the name. So you apply to a job and the person reads your name when you yeah. apply and they already right away go like, oh, I can't say this person's name. This person is not from my ethnicity. I cannot hire them just yeah. by looking at the name, just by seeing a name. And again, I can use my example. If you can't say Michelle Ferreira, which is not that difficult, it's not the same as maybe, you know, a more different name, but that's okay. If you can't say it, you probably look at go like, hmm. Am I gonna like who's this person? I I maybe don't even need to look up at a picture at that point. Doesn't matter what he looks like or you know what she looks like, right? It matters that I just can't speak this name and then the ethnicity is not the preference, like you said. I have a bias towards it. And I read that that's it's a big thing. People are having trouble with applying to jobs because their names get you know flagged on the system and they just go like, no, if I can't say it, I I don't I'm not gonna interview this person. Mm -hmm. So that that. A lot of times people don't do that. Most of the time people don't do that outright. It's, it's, it's you know, that unconscious bias that's like, oh, that seems difficult. So I'm not even going to put myself in that position to mess that up. Moving on. Um, the, the level of attractiveness thing is, is, a, is another bent, right? Like that's just getting in the door. There's also like when you're actually in the door and you're in front of people, there's a lot of research. And I know this because I just did a bunch of research on this or, or um, but there's a lot of um, studies that have been done around um, the uh, perceived professionalism of a person. And so the way someone dresses, the way someone looks. So if they're more attractive, you automatically assume that they are more capable and more professional. If they have an accent, you know, in the US, we trust, a, we love a person with a British accent, especially if it's on the posh side, right? We trust that. Um, so, and the same thing with, you know, particular women of color, particular black women who have natural hair, right? If they show up to an interview, with natural hair, with the fro going, with the curls popping, you know, they are perceived to be less professional. And so that's why you have slews of black women who straighten the hair for the interview and show up to work on the first, on the first day with, with the fro, right? And that's because of that perception. 
uh, that you're trying to fight against. And a lot of it for the most part is unconscious people, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Most people are not saying, Ooh, they've got an Afro. They're not professional. They may look at a person, two different people, maybe the same person one day, their hair is straight one, another photo it's, it's with the fro. And then they're like, Oh, this person is, is much more like they can do the job. They feel like, you know, they're more confident. It's the same thing with the way that you speak, the way that you dress and all the things that go into that. And so it's a lot of times in order to even get in the door, you have to adhere to that, you know, Western, you know, heteronormative, quite frankly, because it's a completely different set of what attractive is for um, people on the LGBTQ spectrum, right? Of like, what does a white man, you know, because a lot of these senses of professionalism explicitly and implicitly are geared towards and privilege whiteness. And so, and it's, and it's very, it's very different if you have a black woman, even if they're a fair skinned, very European features. And a lot of times when you do see a black woman, it's not a dark skinned woman. It is often a racially ambiguous mixed race woman, no shade to, to mixed race women, no shade to anyone just to put that out there. But like, that's what you often see and go ahead sis, get yours. And like, because at the end of the day, you're probably like, you know, and so it's, it's, it's all of these different levels. And again, most of the time people aren't doing this intentionally. Like they're not doing it intentionally. They're not trying to say, oh, we trust white women. So let's put this in, in here. We're not trying to say, ooh, ooh, black man. That's really, they're really, you know, Mm, aggressive. They're really <laughs> threatening, right? Maybe don't put, don't put them at the forefront unless they're, they're gay or unless they make a, a really, you know, cute joke or something to like ease the mood to make people think and like realize that they're not threatening. They're not at risk. You know, it's but, exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, but, and then if it is that unconscious or if you believe it's that unconscious, then how do we fight the whole gatekeeping situation of, you know, getting through that, right? Is it, do we have to then mask the language, mask the names, uh, uh, you know, find ways to, uh, instead of being, expecting inclusivity and expecting non-biased, uh, that we have to find our way to just, you know, be, so if you're neurodivergent and if you have any challenges, how do you, how do you come in and showcase in a way, right? That you're going to get through that door. You know, I, I think that's the challenge that I, that I see a lot when we're talking about this kind of stuff. Like if it's an unconscious bias, how do we teach that? How do we break that? Unconscious bias is incredibly difficult to break. I mean, it's a spiritual practice. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm just being real. Like it's, you need to meditate. You need, <laughs> you need to spend time in reflection. You need to journal. You need to do all of those things. It's personal work. You need to take, yeah. you need to take the time and work on you. And I, I don't, that's like telling people to go to church. It's that odd. Like it's, it's that, it's that divisive. Like, can you imagine coming in and telling your boss, you need to go to church and get your soul right. 
But you, can, like, you need to get that, right with the law. that bad. <laughs> you need to just get it straight. You need to go down there. You need to repent. And you need to get it straight. Right? Oh, my gosh. Then you can't tell your boss that. Your boss probably don't even believe in God. Like, or any, like, you know, like, whatever. Like, it, it's, it's, it's whatever, right? Like, it's not a thing you're going to say. But, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, I spent hours and hours and hours in meditation. I've spent so much time improving myself as a person in order to, here we go, <laughs> in order to make sure that I'm not perpetuating the biases that I'm suffering from. Yes. Right? So that if some, if by some actual miracle, because it will be a miracle if anybody ever puts me in charge of anything. Um, <laughs> But if by some actual miracle, I get into a position where I have yes and no power, you best believe I'm saying yes to people of color. Not like, not like wholesale, like, oh, you don't have to be qualified. That's not what I'm saying. But I am giving them equal opportunity. I am viewing them with the same lens that I'm viewing other candidates with. I am not going to be the only person talking to them i will not be the only person of color that talks to them on our side it will be multiple spectrums of things it will not just be me because i know that's not enough and and that is where i need white leadership in most companies to get to it is is to a place of really encountering themselves because at the end of the day what is this really about this is about you kind of being a shitty person. Like, I'm just being real. Like, you're just kind of a shitty person. If you can't, if you can't handle somebody having a different name than you or someone uh, being like on a different gender spectrum than you, if, if you can't handle that, something is wrong. Like, for, like on a personal level, something is wrong. You need to examine that you know, in therapy, potentially, what, what's going on? Because <laughs> like, I mean, let's just, let's just be like, I'm just being, I'm keeping it 100, like, you know, and that's really the only temperature I have, but yeah. I'm just saying like, those are, those are problems. Think of like, if you don't like someone, based on their skin color or the way that they look or the abilities that they have or perceived abilities that they have or do not have. Something's wrong with you. Like work on that. I think that, um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you kept it. Look, Chris, the reason I wanted you 100 degrees, 100 You kept it 100 degrees. That's it. That's you, you kept it. But so. to bring, uh, I, I want to insert a little compassion for people. I don't think you're wrong. Like, first of all, but like, um, because there's a good, you know, there's, you know, a lot of times we have to, we have to remember that the society that we live in reinforces certain behaviors it actually reinforces unconscious bias right swipe right swipe left it's an instinct right <laughs> it's like everything that we do is is based on like what our like intrinsic feelings about a thing are and we don't examine them we just move on to the next thing and so the work that's needed 
you know, that personal work that you talk about 100%, the, you know, the systems that are built upon those like fragments and that lack of, of personal work have to be torn down as well. But that can't happen until people put that time and go through the pain. And we are all pain averse, right? We are, we don't like discomfort. We don't like uneasiness. And you have to go through all of that to get to actually examine how you contribute, you personally contribute to the system of discrimination, of inequity and inequality, of all of the the isms in ourselves, both the people who are oppressed by them. Well, first of all, we're all oppressed by them, regardless of your identity. But the the majority and the people who are in the minority who will soon be the majority, but still oppressed by somehow. This is these larger systems. But like. I completely like we have we are at our core we do fight or flight right and so when something feels threatening which is you know th things that are threatening are uncovering something about yourself that you didn't think was true um uncovering something about someone else that you didn't think was true um learning something exists that you never knew existed that completely makes you question your entire reality. Those are all scary things. And the instinct that majority of people have is to fight that, which is to be aggressive and against that. Or they say, mm, I wanna exit this scenario, which means they swipe left and they get rid of it. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind, you know? Ooh, let's not bring them in. I don't, I, I'm gonna mess up that name. I don't see if I, I don't, I don't know if I, they don't know that that's what they're saying. It's like, oh, let's remove myself from that situation. So like that is the instinct that we go through our lives every single day. And, and I 100%, I understand that. I think that, I think a, at the core of a lot of our, um, you know, the root of all of our problems in this, in the entire history of humanity. I know it. I know what it is. It is our inability to hold what we know and believe is true based on our lived experience, based on what we've learned over the course of our lives. And then hold in one hand, hold that in one hand, and then in a different hand, or maybe even in the same hand, what someone else is telling or what they hear is the truth or what someone else knows and believes to be true and not put them against them. Our inability to not compare is the root of all of our suffering to bring some <laughs> Buddhism into it. It is the, it's, it's like the, all of those things are true. Truth is not fact. And that is the thing that we always forget. It's like, oh, it's true. No, it's not true. That's a fact. <laughs> the truth is the interpretation and the truth changes over time. And whether or not fact is accepted as truth is a completely different thing. And it, and it will change from today to tomorrow. And so knowing that there are many people who have never met a person of color or met a black person, they've only seen them through the things that they consume. So all of the things that they feel and know about black people are what they've seen either in the media, in the song, like that's, that's the, that's the, you know, that's the rub. The same thing with like, you know, with people who are gay, they've probably met people who are gay, but they don't know it. Right. And so there's this, <laughs> this, there's this deep fear. And so it's like, they meet, it's like, Oh, that's wrong. That's not my experience. That's like all the things. So I, I, 
it's not that I understand it and, and think that it's right. I'm associating no morality to it, but I, I get that people have fear. I don't think that's an acceptable way to interact with other people is to put my fear on you, but we're really good as human beings on either reflecting or, or like attacking people with our feelings or attacking people on our preconceived notions of who they are and what they are and, and their lives and all the things, regardless of what the actual fact is. And that's something that everyone has to work through. And unfortunately, women, people of color, disabled people, neurodivergent people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, often bear the brunt of it. And then in turn have to do the work to, to push again at it. It's and like that's the cycle. But look, <laughs> you said one thing about the truth there, truth not being in fact, and, and you having these, you know, multiple truths at your grasp, right? Um, and I think that to add to that, the one thing I notice is when there's an added truth, when, 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 when you see it, a second truth or a new truth being presented to you, uh, you facing the fact that the original truth or the one that you believed in can be crumbling around you. And that's where they start going to that fear factor, and they don't they don't they don't understand it, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I <clears throat> when I went to 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 live in the U.S. and work in in, in California, um, I got this question around, you know, how 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 far is your house from the jungle in Brazil? Not joking, that was a question that I was asked, um, and you know that was like question one, and then I'm like, okay, well. Again, I'm trying to be understanding here. This person never interacted with someone from Brazil. Uh, and uh, the vision of Brazil that they had was the Amazon, which is, you know, of course, very different from where I grew up. I never been to the Amazon. I'm from Rio de Janeiro, right? Rio de Janeiro is a very, very, very large city. It's gigantic as a, as a you know, city. So you, you drive around and yes, there's a lot of green, but still, you know, buildings everywhere, right? Uh, so I explained to him the difference and how far away the Amazon was from Rio de Janeiro. <clears throat> And then uh, the second question that came up was, um, can you have guns in Brazil? Are you, <clears throat> are you allowed to bear arms in Brazil? And again, you start going like, you, you, you see this person fighting the reality that they understand or the things that they understand from their area or for the, where they come from and trying to connect to, to where I come from. Um, so I felt like, you know, I, I'm going to have to, educate this person and give them a little bit more uh, information to get this conversation at a better level. But it's, that's what I think you were saying, uh, Dominique, there with the idea that, you know, you, you get presented with a truth, you don't understand the other truth, and then you have to kind of like, give the person a little bit of your truth for them to understand. It's hard because I knew that the, the, the person didn't mean to be offensive. I don't think the person was trying to be offensive at all. I felt they were just trying to understand, but in their way of trying to understand, they could be very offensive to me. And if I was a person that was that tended to be offended by that kind of stuff, I would probably be like, oh my God, what is this person asking, right? But I tried, no, 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 this, I just think he's, this person is probing, trying to understand where I come from, trying to get some, you know, and, and I explained to them that, you know, of course, there's no right to bear arms. That's a that's an American thing. It doesn't happen in Brazil, although there's a lot of guns in Rio. There's a lot of violence in Rio. And I explained the violence and I showed examples, but I didn't have a gun and people that I know don't have guns, right? Because that's not a, a right. You don't have them. And the proliferation there is the illegal side of that. Uh, 
the shock of that person, the, the realization that, you know, gun, I've, I've seen an AK-47 in my life and it was close to my face, but it wasn't because I can't go buy one. It's because, you know, uh, people around you can't have them, right, illegally, and you can be in that situation. Uh, that realization was a shock for the person. And, and I could see it, the, the person's face change from, I'm asking questions here and, oh my gosh, that there's actually some, you know, deep memories there that I could be triggering on this person. So I, I could see that, you know, that, that connection where you notice the person realizing that their truth is, uh, is so different and that they're, you know, I think even realizing his privilege at that point. Can I ask a question? Yes, of course. Completely different topic. Why and this not? Is more of, of you, both of you. Um, what feeling of responsibility do you have? Do you feel you have to other people of color? So for Michelle, Latinx designers, for Chris, black designers. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna jump in, Chris. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't feel like I had it for a long time. Right. For a long time, I was just like, I was working in Brazil. No one gave me a leg up. I was fighting my way into the industry and then fighting my way into international career and, and, and you know, living outside of Brazil. Right. And I was doing that by myself and I wasn't being pulled in any way. And I was being, you know, I didn't have any examples to go follow. Right. But then I'm here and I'm in Australia and I've been here for a while and I've been outside of Brazil for a while and I started noticing why am I not the one thinking about building those bridges and building those, you know, whatever you want to call them for other people. So I started feeling on the back of my mind, I wish I had me, right, <laughs> to give some sort of guidance or some sort of example to say like, no, it is possible. Of course it is possible. And you don't need, you know, a name and you don't need to come from a specific college and you don't need a specific thing uh, to, to, to be able to, to find a, you know, a position, right? So that's why I started this whole conversation. That's why I felt like there is a a deep weight that I carry that I want to actually bring people in and actually bring people into the fold. Chris? I feel responsibility to my entire race for everything I do. Yeah, I think it's annoying. Uh, I, in, in some sense, it's very annoying. Where where it's not annoying is um, in passing on knowledge to designers. Um, I find a lot of African designers, like out of Africa, gravitate towards me. Um, and so I literally pour out everything I have into them if they if they're willing to hold the cup out. Um, so uh, that's been that's been good. good. I haven't. And this is where I get really like I went to one. I did a, I did a talk for uh, UX come up with uh, Miguel makes um, about just like it was just a general one. I saw more black designers, black junior designers in that talk than I've ever seen in my life. Um, I was shocked. I did not know there were that many, but we're you know it's New York, so it's diverse. Um, <laughs> so. Um, so that gave me hope. Um, that gave me a lot of hope that there would be more Black UXers. Um, Amber Fields is dope. Um, so I've just been uh, like, so yes, I feel a sense of responsibility because I feel like 
we are being intentionally screened out of this industry. <laughs> and um, and it, it's frustrating. Like, I don't, like, I, I, I guess I don't even, I was like, it's like one thing that I, I think of, like, I say this all the time. I was like, I don't, I, you know, I don't think I'd, I'd ever get hired by Google or, or like a, like a Facebook or an Amazon. I don't think I'd ever get hired by, hired by them because I know what they look for. I know their criteria and I'm none, I fit none of them, like zero, zero of those criteria. Could they benefit from having someone like me? Sure. But I don't think what I have to offer they would be they would be scared to ought to to offer that at scale. So I don't know that even if I was hired there that they would even use me to thirty uh, percent of what I actually am able to do. Um, and so I think that's one of the things I find to be really challenging as a black designer is that uh, you really only get to use fifty percent of your skill set if you're in the wrong position. Like, like I'm not, not, I mean, if you're, even if you're in the right position. So there's things I don't get to bring into my work and they would make it better. <laughs> but I don't, get, I don't get to, I don't get to bring those things. I have to work like I'm a white person and I am not. And for me, that's a disadvantage because I'm having to prove myself on a scale that wasn't meant for me and really can't accommodate me. So I'm all of that scale. And then there's this whole other thing that I am that doesn't even register and has functionally no value to a company. Hmm. So that's- Can you yeah. share what it's, um, what are the skills that you think you could use, but you don't use that you think are, you know, intrinsic to, to you? I create community rapidly and I can create co-design opportunities rapidly as a result of my ability to create community. Um, I'm good at social media. It wasn't just that I was offered a job in it and learned how to do it. I was actually good at it. And so I was able to build really large community, really engaged community and uh, really inclusive community really fast. So my company and I think others don't realize that building community with the people that use your product is the fastest way to innovate your product. <laughs> so, um, so, and, and, or they don't know, like community, this is the thing, community is not an extraction of information from a set of people. Mm. Um, that's UX research. And I, I mean that um, community is where there is a exchange of ideas that are mutually beneficial to both parties. And if advancements are made based on those conversations, both parties benefit from said advancements. And so, yes, like everyone else, I'm excited for Web3 because maybe that's possible, maybe. But it, it's something that I've been thinking about. So I don't get to bring the community building aspect of myself into my work, but my work 
leverages my community to build their own sort of, um, you know, I have like whatever, 10,000 whatever connections on LinkedIn or whatever. It makes my company look good. Like I, I'm more connected. I have, I have a larger, I have a larger audience on social than my entire company does. Like, <laughs> like I dwarf them by myself. <laughs> so, so it's not, it's not that, and that's not to say like, oh, Chris was so important. It's to say, <laughs> no, Chris is passionate about building community <laughs> and right. loves to be with people and loves to work with people and loves to design with people and design for people. Um, and loves to create, you know, labs and stuff uh, right. to not only benefit my, our product, but benefit the communities that use our product the most, because they're going to use our product more if we do stuff like that. Not and that even though that's not really the goal, right? So I like to set up systems that feed each other. That's like what I like to do. But that's not how business works. Right. Um, they want one-way channels and one-way revenue. And that's how, so I can't, I can't bring that. Um, I also can't bring my whole black self into work. Every, although I was like, oh, please do, like, please. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, I can't. <laughs> I don't get in trouble. I'm not necessarily in trouble, but just, you know, it's just not professional. Right, like my my standard personality around other black folks is not considered professional. Where yes. white guys and white ladies can let their hair down and talk to each other however they want to talk to each other, and that's considered to be they can interpret their behavior as being friendly. But if I do that shit, I'm unprofessional. I am potentially perceived as aggressive. Hopefully not. Just celebrating uh, touchdowns. Um, <laughs> you know? uh but like i was i had this moment like i had this moment in the super bowl where they did the halftime show and like me my my two friends who are asian my black friend we're all in there and like doc like the super bowl halftime show is coming on and we are all shouting hip-hop shouting it dancing shouting all those things like because and like reciting horrible lyrics in front of our children not giving giving zero fucks because that was so unbelievably impactful for that time of our lives that um, that we didn't care. And we wanted our kids to see that, right? Because that's who we are. That's who we are together, right? I could not do that ever <laughs> in a work setting. But like when like I, I've, you know, been at games with white guys who watch the games, like, yeah, come on, high five. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen Brazilians watching the World Cup, have you? I have seen Brazilians <laughs> watching the World Cup. That's just a party. That's fun. Um, but you, 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 I guess you, I can't. I can't behave in that way. So I have to behave in another way. That's not really me. And people are like, "Oh, you can bring your whole self. Bring your whole self." It's like, eh, no, I can't. You don't understand it. You don't understand my whole self. So I can't bring it until you. Until you do. And how do you do that? Ultimately, it comes back to building relationship and then building community with the people that you work with and having this whole this whole idea that Dominique's already talked about, about being able to have your experience in one hand and, and perceive somebody else's without doing life. Is he doing that because he used to be in a gang? How does he know how to cripple? 
You know, I love that. I love like, that so much. Why is he so good at crib walking? Where did that rhythm come from? You know, like, does he go to hip hop dance class at 24 hour fitness? How did like, you know, like, why is he shaking his butt like that? You know, like, <laughs> Dominique, do you do, like, do you do like hip hop dance classes at 24 hour fitness? Absolutely uh, not. But absolutely not because that's not <laughs> hip hop. But that's, that's the least hip hop thing there is. Hip hop dance size. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, like, so, like, I think um, I can't bring my culture. You can't bring right? your culture. My healthy, beautiful, vibrant culture. I can't bring that. Right. And white people get to. They get to talk about, like, you know, their German heritage and how they had like, you know, they, they grew up eating like Krasnodar and like all these different, how do I know about German holidays? Because I work with a lot of white people who have German heritage. So I know all about like Pfeffernus and, you know, Oktoberfest and, you know, like I know all about all this shit, all that stuff is fine. But I mean, I don't bring up Kwanzaa, you know, like, and that's, that's a weak one. You know, my yeah. Jewish colleagues don't bring up Hanukkah. They talk about Christmas. Like Hanukkah's not even Christmas. that. I would say, like, I'm not going to speak no. for on behalf of my Jewish friends, but I would say, like, they don't talk about Rosh Hashanah or, yeah. like, you know, as, like, of the high holidays, like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I Mm-mm. think that, like, to that, that, to that point of, like, you know, forget about Kwanzaa because many people don't celebrate Kwanzaa, not no shade to those who celebrate Kwanzaa, but like for people who have of Caribbean descent, no one's out here talking about juvet of like, mm-hmm. so there's baby powder and there's like, you know, <laughs> it's like, that would be a whole thing of like- Nobody's talking about Juneteenth either, to be honest. Right. <laughs> so do you, how do you feel about not bringing your, your full self to work, uh, Dominique? Um, I, so I, I have, uh, very conflicting, well, I don't have conflicting feelings, but there's a lot of things about blackness that is like, you know, it's, it's not a monolith. Right. And so, um, my blackness is different from someone else's. Right. And so I think that, um, the way that I show up as my black self is completely different from how someone else would. Um, and, um, so there's that. And so there, there's that, that type of, there's the blackness aspect of it. And then there's also just like my whole self is like just my, me and my personality, right. Of like my very directness and like how I navigate, you know, speaking and like I'm a very like generally low emotive very plain speaking direct I don't really like to fill in a lot of like flourishes and words and speak hyperbolically but when you work but that can come off as really like blunt and a little too much and and sometimes negative or like or cynical and so learning how to add caveats into my into my sentences of like oh that's great like 
put the ele- the put put some elevation in your voice, but I'm just generally like flatline. Um, <laughs> put some like ooh, that's great! Exclamation point. How like hey. why did you think about th-? instead of being like curious, why'd you go this route? And then it's like oh, you know, it's it, it's just like changing. So my whole self is really in changing how I communicate and you kind of don't actually get my full personality, right? Of like, you get what I, like, I am very like often sardonic, very sarcastic. That doesn't always translate. That can translate well for like a white man. Doesn't always translate well for a black woman. Because if you do it a little too much, then you're negative, you're an angry black woman. And then you get (laughs) like, you can't actually move people in your direction and be an influence because you don't make people, because people feel uncomfortable or things I got early in my career or when I was really younger, oh, you're, you are very intimidating. It's like, (laughs) people are still intimidated by me, but for completely different reasons, right? And at the end of the day, like my feelings about people being intimidated by me generally are like, that has nothing to do with me. That's something you need to work on yourself, right? (laughs) But like, I can't say that in a professional environment, right? I can't really say it's like, ooh, that's great. Pick if like, I see how you feel. Let's move on and let's see how we can move this forward. Like you really have to like bring, like massage the ego, do all of the things. And, and, and quite frankly, that's the thing that I've learned and built as a skill as I've gotten, as I've matured in my, my career, as I've grown in my career and, and been in more positions of leadership. And I think that's also regardless of race and, and all of the other, the, you know, identity people learn that, right? Like you get further with honey, right? You get further (laughs) when you understand, you have, you increase your EQ and, and like your ability to bring people along the way and storytell and, and, and influence and, and get on the same page with people. Um, and, and that's perfectly fine. But in my personal life, I'm pretty like, I have a friend many years ago who's like, <laughs> first of all, she was like, you have a nose ring. I'm like, I've known you for four years. I've always had this nose ring. I got it before you. If, if I went missing and the police were like, how would you like describe them? You would never be able to describe me. And she's like, yes, I would. Red lip, blank stare, right? (laughs) (laughs) And like that, while I'm like, this is very funny, but also it's just like the blank stare isn't just like, it's it's because like I'm often expressionless, right? And I learned that in order to make people feel comfortable, if I'm not going to go up and pitch in my voice, or at an exclamation point, I got to at least smile and raise my eyebrows so people don't feel threatened by the fact that I'm saying, you're not doing a good job. <laughs> like, I think you're wrong. Smile. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Look, I, I, I want to finish in a, in a more positive note. Uh, someone mentioned hope somewhere that I think it was Chris. Um, and... So I would love if there's maybe a book that you recommend uh, that you think has, you know, um, that could help other designers 
you know, that are uh, starting out African American designers that are looking for any support, any help, or if you have other examples of designers that they could follow. Uh, I think it's really good to have representation and to have, you know, like someone to look up to. So are there names that you go like, this is the, this, these are the people that I would recommend you go and read or going to listen to. Um, I'm going to open the floor, whoever has something to share. I think, I mean, Harrison, mm -hmm. they should listen to Harrison and follow Harrison. He's got like, he's really good at like design leadership, which is not something that I'm good at. Um, um, I just know that from talking to him. I haven't talked to Dominique as much, but I would bet that she's a badass at it. Um, I, so I would I would talk talk to people like that. I think I think the real advantage in speaking to folks, black folks, particularly who are in design management positions, is that they understand talent acquisition, mm. and they can help you shape yourself um, in such a way that you fit um if that makes sense um i don't know that most i i just think that generally um we just don't fit um so astro books mismatch talks a lot about this um uh, about things not fitting she talks about uh physical world a lot um but i'm i'm talking about racially things don't fit culturally things don't fit. There's many, many mismatches. She actually acknowledges that in the book, which uh, is incredible, was incredibly, um, I just have a lot of respect for Kat, to be honest. <laughs> I think they should definitely, I think they should definitely follow Kat Holmes. Uh, watch her, anything she says on, on, on YouTube because she's thought about this shit at a really deep level and mm -hmm. um, that I, I haven't really seen matched um, outside of it just in a in in a, in a format that's I guess I haven't seen matched in a book format if that's what I that, that I've seen it matched in in person in workshops one hundred percent I've seen stuff similar but in a book format it just being so easy to read um, and just being directly applicable to design um, is is huge um, so I would suggest mismatch I would also suggest uh, building for everyone uh, by Annie Jean Baptiste. Um, and then I would, here's a, any book on mindfulness, <laughs> not written by a white person. <laughs> There's that. Good stuff. So um, that's one, those are my suggestions. It, that's hard for me because I don't really follow a lot of people. Like. The people that I listen to, basically, you know, I don't do a lot of NNG. I don't do a lot. I listen to folks who are in the work, doing the work, who are people of color. And so I would just, I mean, here's my, here's my actual shout. Find people who are in the work, doing the work that you want to do, that are people of color, and glom on to them. <laughs> like, glom. ask questions glom on like <laughs> like <laughs> i don't care how you do it do like a full body plant on them whatever just hang on with them and and follow what they do because you can learn a lot from just asking a couple of questions um 
Chris Doe answered my questions over DMs on uh, Instagram. And that really blew my mind because he was huge. So I, I would just say that, I, I just say that folks that you think might be unreachable or unattainable are actually a lot cooler than you think they are. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's an amazing way to think about, you know, reach out to people that you, that you appreciate, even if you don't think they're going to, you know, respond because they do. Uh, Dominique, do you have uh, someone to recommend? Yeah. I mean, I was also going to recommend Cat Holmes um, nice. and her book Mismatch. Um, I've probably read it three times. Um, it is a font of knowledge and that whole team um, that did the inclusive design work at Microsoft is, is really great and they're all doing great things. Um, an, another book to kind of build on, you know, books about mining, mindfulness, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. It's one of the many, one of the four books that are on my desk. Um, as a Zen practitioner, that's the thing of like, you know, it's, it's about always thinking about your practice as practice and design as a practice and approach everything as if you're a beginner. Um, and, and that's just like, regardless of, of your personal identity, like think about how you approach anything as a, as a practice and, and always getting better. Um, and knowing that you're never going to kind of like be perfect. Um, uh, I will throw out to kind of like, uh, continue on the, you know, inclusive design and, and um, uh, accessibility bent. Um, Alice Wong, um, who is a disability rights advocate. Um, she runs the um, uh, disvisibility uh, community. Um, she is also a font of knowledge and especially anyone who is a designer you should be thinking about designing for everyone. And as a reminder, all of us at some point in our lives will become disabled in some way, whether it be by circumstance, by, you know, by situation or because of old age. And so you may not be disabled now, but you will be. And so you should think about when we're thinking about design and we're thinking about designing, whether it be products or web experiences or physical experiences, think about how it evolves over time. It's not just about now. Um, similarly, Tiffany Hugh um, is a really great um, disability rights advocate um, and, you know, a personal hero of mine, Hakman Germa. She's um, a deaf blind activist and lawyer. Um, and her book, um, I think it's called Haben, the Deafblind Woman Who, Confer Who Conquered Harvard Law, um, is, a, is a great book to read. Um, I will also recommend Kevin Bethune um, to um, read his upcoming book. Um, he's a, a very um experienced very senior design leader black design leader um and he is doing a lot in particular in the black community um to to help um black professionals and particularly in tech to you know navigate the um the networks that need to be navigated 
Um, and then lastly, also, um, uh, oh no, oh, goodness. I know his name, I can see his face, but I have completely, it, it escapes me. Um, oh, John Maida. Um, he is a, is a great um, leader, um, person of color, and is always thinking about the future of technology and, and design and our space and how it evolves. And um, he's done a lot of, um, made a lot of contributions to the space. I love it. Great, great examples. Um, uh, so I really wanted to thank both of you for joining and participating in this episode. Um, this is going to go live on YouTube soon. So, <laughs> uh, and I really appreciate, you know, having both unfiltered. of you. Unfiltered. Unfiltered and raw on the first on episode. on YouTube of with a cell phone camera view. You're going on YouTube with us. myself. You're, you're, it's what gonna look amazing. You're gonna love it. Uh, what have I done to myself? <laughs> but it's, it's definitely the, you know, it, it's a uh, first experiment. Try to bring everyone together, try to share our, our experiences and our biases and, and try to break them. That's the goal. So, you know, really, really appreciate both of you being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. I can't say thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> As if me and Dominic. That's how much community. You know, I just I love when us. I love when men speak for me. It's okay. I know. It's, <laughs> it's the best. I feel it feels so good just to speak on behalf of all women at all times because you know our experiences you know. are exactly the same. They are. They are. Um, it's always a pleasure to be in both of your company. Thanks for watching this episode, and if you liked it, share with your friends, give us a like, and subscribe to the channel. See you next time.